All right. Uh, well, just to kind of give everyone the update, uh, my, I had my operation on Thursday um, for a ruptured tendon that happened at motocross camp and on uh, my tricep. And uh, so they went in and, and uh, there was, the whole elbow was mangled anyways from years of abuse and stuff like that. So uh, did you play football when you were a kid? Did you lift weights when you were a kid? And, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah. And your elbow was a mess. So uh, they cleaned it all up and lashed everything back down. And uh, about halfway through the operation, they were like, do you sleep on your stomach? <laughs> and I said, maybe, you know. And okay, well, you, tried, you were trying to turn over. And the nurse was like, you're a big guy. <laughs> now, when you're 5'9", and someone calls you a big guy, they can only mean one thing. You know what I'm saying? You know? It's like when they trank a rhino, and then they try to, like, fix its hoof or something, and it starts to come to, you know? That's how they described it. And they had to jump on top of me and beat me with clubs and subdue me. But we're, uh, the Lord's good, the Lord's gracious. We got through it, and, and uh, a um, couple weeks of this thing, and then I'll be into a brace, and, and uh, before you know it, I'll be uh, riding dirt bikes again. Who knows, next year maybe a leg, you know. <laughs> as long as God wants me to, I'm there. All right. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Pops. We got a, uh, so next, this coming Friday, we're leaving on our, our family vacation. Um, we're going to, it's actually more like a missions trip. We're going to the disaster fields of North Carolina <laughs> uh, uh, to, uh, to minister to those poor people. <laughs> Um, but actually, if you guys were paying attention, I guess it was, just, it, by the time it hit landfall, it was a category one and, and, uh, uh, there's been, the flooding has been the biggest, the biggest issue down there. So, but God was gracious. God was definitely gracious and merciful to, uh, to the people in North Carolina. Um, it could have been much, much worse. So we're planning on heading down Friday and that means we won't be here, uh, for the next two Sundays. So Mr. Marquardt's going to fill in for us and, that sarcastic fellow that just spoke before church started, Rich Hayward, he's going to do one of our services for us as well. So uh, show up if, you, if, you, uh, if you're going to be around. Please show up and encourage those guys. And uh, because um, it's kind of short notice and, and we don't want to put a lot on people and it's hard to do two services, we're just going to do one service, okay? So, so get the word out. We'll put it on the Facebook page and the website if it, if it gets turned back on and stuff that... Um, we're going to just do an 11 o'clock service for the next two weeks. Okay. So if you're able to make it to church, it'll be the 11 o'clock service only. If you come here at nine, the doors will be open. You can help yourself to the nutty buddies and the coffee, but no one else is going to be here. Okay. Except for the other people that forgot this announcement. So, um, if that happens, it'll be okay. But, but, uh, uh, next two Sundays, it'll be 11 o'clock. Um, we are of course in the book of Exodus. And chapter 11, we're going to be getting through chapter 11, God willing, today. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, cover these verses for us, Lord. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage us. Uh, Father, we pray that you would uh, reveal yourself to us, Lord, uh, day by day, uh, week by week, month by month, and year by year, Lord. But we pray that these times that we have to gather together and and fellowship with each other, Lord, and, and to break open your word together, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would really... Be here in a powerful way, Lord, to speak to our hearts, Lord, through your word and impress to us um, the importance, Lord, that, that, um, um, that there is in us following you, Lord, not just, uh, not just once in a while, not just on Sundays, Lord, but every single day, Lord, because your plan is all-encompassing. 
uh, Lord, and you've got a place for us within your plan, Lord. And we want to find that place. We want to be right where you want us to be, Lord God. And we don't want to get caught up with our own lives, Lord, so that we're unable to be where you need us to be, Father, to accomplish what you've, uh, what you've put in place for us, Lord, to do for your kingdom. So, uh, Lord, work on us, we pray today, Lord. Do a little surgery on our hearts. We give you free reign, Lord, to mold us and to make us and to change us as you see fit, Father. Um, any, any part of our hearts, Lord, that lacks faith in you to completely trust you, uh, Lord, to take control over every aspect of our lives, I pray, Father, that you give uh, each person peace today, Lord, and knowing and, and trusting and understanding that they can give you all of who they are, Lord. And there's no possible better hands that they could ever, ever be in any aspect of their lives than in your hands, Lord. Uh, Lord, use them, I pray. Bless them, I pray, Lord. Edify them, build them up, uh, Lord, and bring people into their lives, Lord, that they could talk to about Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, yes, sir. There'll be no coffee next, next two weeks. Unless you bring your own. BYOC, I think is what that's called. Uh, anyway, um, Exodus chapter 11, you know, the God that we serve, and, it, and it's very important that we always come back to this, okay? That last song that we sang, that holy, holy, holy song, that's like a in front of the throne song. Like any time that you're singing that holy, 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 understand that is the song of the angels. That is the song that they sing when they stand before the throne of God. And that is the song that we will sing when we stand before the throne of God because we will be compelled by his awesomeness. Uh, by the might and the power of who he is, we will be driven into song. We'll be driven into worship. There, there, there's no, it's spontaneous. When, you, when you're in front of God, you are completely undone in the flesh. And all that there is left to do is to worship uh, this powerful and all-existent creator uh, who is the author of all things, and holds us together. We actually live and breathe and move and our, have our existence in him. He literally, uh, you know, in the Greek there, the, when it talks about him holding all things together, it's every molecule, every atom, every single, every single tiny particle of existence, God is literally holding together in his hands. Uh, and and when at the end of all things, at the end of Revelation, when this says the old heaven and the old earth and everything passes away, it's simply God doing this. That's it. It's simply God doing this. And so uh, you know and understand that deliberately he's holding you in his hands every single day. Even with all of our faults and our failures and our fears and our rebellions and our wanderings and, and all of the things that we have and the imperfections in our own hearts and, and the strongholds in our hearts that we know about in ourselves and we rethink to ourselves, there's no way that God would ever want to use me. There's no way that God can use me being the way that I am. And certainly there's got to be in store for me some sort of punishment and, and recompense because I'm so far from being what I need to be and where I need to be. And yet we need to know and understand that God, in spite of all that, because He is faithful, He's holding every single particle of who you are together in His hands. And He's doing it because He loves you. He loves you and He's called you for a very specific purpose. 
And so, you know, when we talk about grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness, and then when we put that in conjunction with uh, the fact that God doesn't want us to use grace and, and his mercy as a license to continue in sin, but rather to grow in our grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to grow in the righteousness of Christ and be allowing ourselves to be being conformed into his image and likeness by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's when we have all of these things firmly in our hearts and firmly in our minds, knowing and understanding who he really is, how great and awesome and mighty he really is. And then just as great and awesome and awe-inspiring and wonderful as his power is and who he is, is. Right equal with that is the amount of love that he has for you. The amount of love that he has for me. And the desire that he has to use us in this life and in this world. And so when we talk about growing in the grace and knowledge, it's not about, you know, if I screw up too much, then I'm going to forfeit grace. And God, you know, we have always in our hearts, you know, we can't help but be superstitious, can we? And always have the list of the check marks of, you know, keeping score. That's what we do. God doesn't keep score. And it's one of the things you can be most thankful for is that God doesn't keep score. We're either forgiven or we're not forgiven. We're either in Christ or we're not in Christ. And behold, I make all things new. And for those of us who are in Christ, what that means is that there is now, therefore, no condemnation. Zero. Zero condemnation. We are free every single day to answer that bell. We're free to get up and say, God, I'm available to you today. Regardless of how bad I blew it yesterday, regardless of all of these things that have been in my life that have been distracting me and pushing me off course, Lord, I'm I'm available to you today. And I want to be used by you today, Lord, and I want to experience more of you in my life today. And God is available And God is there and God is always willing to speak into our hearts. And God is always willing and he's right there to come alongside of us and to use us. If you actively get in the habit every single day of praying, God, use me today to speak into someone's life. Lord, use me today to speak into someone's life. It's just like keeping a prayer journal. If you keep a prayer journal and you start keeping track of all of the prayers that you've prayed and that God has given you an answer for, you'll be amazed. And how often God works in your life. And if you begin to pray that prayer each and every day, Lord, use me today, you'll be amazed at how God will show up and God will use you to minister to someone. God will use you to speak the truth of Christ into someone's life. That's the God that He is. But we have to understand, like the Bible says, we have to understand that everyone that comes to Him must first believe that He is. And then that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. And in believing that he is, we have to, in, that encompasses all of who he is. You understand? It's not God as we see him to be, or as that we believe him to be. That's, that's a human idea. You know, God as you believe him or her, right, to be. No, God is who he is. You know, and, and, and just, you know, speaking off the cuff here, the reason he's he is because he refers to himself as he. You know what I'm saying? It's not a sexist thing. You know, our professors and and people in the world will try to tell you today that our faith is a sexist faith. And how do you know that God's a, a masculine? That's how he refers to himself, as our father. And that's how Jesus referred to him, as our father. And so that's why we refer to him as our father. It's not to diminish women. It's not to diminish womankind in any way, shape, or form. Women were created by God as a special treasure with unique gifts 
unique gifts and talents and callings that God specifically has for you to be used within the kingdom. To take that calling and to say, no, it ha- I, you have to use me like a, you would use a man. Or I have to be the same as a being. It's such a miss. It's such an absolute miss of God's intention. And all the things that God has uh, in store for you ladies that he wants to do in your life that he can't do through a dumb guy. Right? Because we're not you. We're not unique and special like you. We're just us. And God says, so this is what you guys need to do. And ladies, this is what I have for you. And what we find in this life is as we submit ourselves to God's sovereignty, as we submit ourselves to who God really is and understand it's not about me, it's not my ways, it's not about the things in the Bible that are easy for me to swallow. It's not about the things in scriptures that are easy for me to understand or I can get alongside of that versus the difficult things. It's simply that he is and this word is from him and whatever he is, that's it. And I believe that and I accept that at face value. Now I can press into him and be blessed by him. But all through the the, the history of the nation of Israel... God is going to be telling them, you can't just worship me in any, any willy-nilly way that you want to. There is a very specific way in which I must be honored amongst you. And, and, there's, and there's very specific rules that were given to the children of Israel. And that applies to us as well. Not that we're under the law, we're under grace, but we need to understand who God is. And I say that to say that Pharaoh was unwilling to accept and understand the nature of who God was or who God is. And so no uh, excuse me so Pharaoh completely missed the boat of being able to be used by God in his divine purpose as God has used the Pharaoh who Joseph was under as God would later later in history would use Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian empire God used these foreign kings because they were willing at some point in their lives to accept he is sovereign not me and 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 there's no one and there's nothing that can stand against his will there has to come that first before the blessings can come before we can have that full understanding, that relationship with God where he's able to use us. It's, it's almost in a sense where he wants us to be these, you know, uh, I always think of Don McClure in a message he gave about this Doberman Pinscher that he was given as a puppy. And he didn't ask for a Doberman Pinscher, nor did he want a Doberman Pinscher. The only thing he knew about Doberman Pinscher is that they're killers, right? That they're angry all the time, that they're born and they cut this end off of them and they cut that end off of them. And then they're angry at everything in front of them and behind them the rest of their lives, right? And his whole thing was, I didn't want to wake up dead, so I thought, I better train this dog. And so he talked about this rigorous training that he put his dog through. I mean, from the time it was a puppy, he wasn't, you know, and the puppies are so cute when they pee on you, you know? And when they bite you, and they're just because they're so cute, when, when it's an 80-pound Doberman, that ain't cute anymore, Right? And so he said, I better put this dog through some rigorous training. And he talks about how obedient this dog was. Uh, and it had amazing bloodlines to go along with it. But he said, this dog, I could take it into a china shop. And it would never leave my side. And I could go to the park and I could say, uh, whatever the dog's name is, go. And he said, that dog would take off like a shot. That dog, to watch that dog run was glorious. And it would run and play. But every so often it would stop and it would seek me out. 
And he goes, from 100 yards, I could go like this, and that dog would drop to the ground. From 100 yards. And he was talking about, in relationship to our relationship with God, how always God has, it is for freedom that God has made us free, but we also, like the psalmist says, we should always be seeking his face. Be seeking after his face, and God's, so that at at 100 yards, God can go like this, and we would drop. And not get so caught up in this world and in this life and in all of the stuff that we're doing that we completely forget to seek his face. And then what happens is we find ourselves far away from him. We find ourselves far away. And then we've got to recenter, right? And we've got to refocus. Okay, I'm going to seek his face. And he, he bring right, us right back to the fold. And then we have to start learning that lesson again. God wants us to be free. He doesn't want us to have to be on a leash. There's too many Christians that are walking around all the time on choke chains. You ever feel God's choke chain in your life? Right? That you're just, you're, you know, you're running around, you're knocking over China, and you're biting people, right? And next thing you know, God goes, clunk, <laughs> you know, and oh, and you, wow, the choke chain. <laughs> just got the choke chain. God doesn't want us to be on a choke chain. God wants us to be completely free in our relationship with him, to serve, to serve, to live our lives, to bless the people in our lives, and to serve him. Man, God has such a purpose. And always, this is what he's trying to get across to Moses, and what he's trying to get across to Aaron, and he's trying to get across to Pharaoh, and he's trying to get across to all the children of Israel. I just want you to have a relationship with me. I want you to know who I really am so that you can appreciate the love that I have for you. And know that these laws that I'm giving you and these rules and these stipulations according to what the way that you must worship me or how you must relate to me is not because I want to hem you in. It's because I want to set you free. But our flesh tells us, no, it's, it's, it's bondage. Our flesh tells us God is giving me rules and restrictions and I can't do this and I must do that. That's the opposite. God is always seeking to set us free. In him we're free indeed. Those who the Son have set free are free indeed. There's no freedom like that. There's no freedom and, 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 and to the, the very limited uh, place that I've grown in my walk with Jesus Christ. I can tell you that one of the most wonderful things about my relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ is that I have experienced that freedom. And I, and I understand and I just don't worry about stuff. It's something that's amazing that God has given me. It's one of the couple, two, two, three gifts, you know what I mean? Like, I wish I had a whole bunch of other, like, maybe some cooler gifts, right? But, but one of the things is I just completely don't sweat this life because it's not my problem. It's not my problem. It's not my call. You worried about going to Guatemala? I, I don't think God wants to kill me there. But if I go down there and I get killed, then that's God's will, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny. I don't think, I think that God has more stuff for me to do here, so I think I'll be back. Right? I really do. I believe that God's got a whole bunch of ministry things in store. And, and so I think I'll be back. I don't have to worry about that. And I have freedom, and I, and I don't have to, and I don't worry about um, rules and restrictions and regulations, and I need, to, I, need to, I need to speak this certain way, and I need to always and wear these certain kind of clothes and do these certain things, because I believe that I'm free in Jesus Christ. And if the Lord has to go like this at 100 yards, in, in some of these things, I, I like to believe that I'm, I'm able to at least see that and go, okay, like I tell my kids all the time, listen, I've, I've got enough issues, 
I've got enough problems. There's a few things and a few gifts that God has given me that I know that I can do and I can do it right. I'm going to do them. I'm going to do those things because I know that he's going to reward me in accordance with the talents that he's given me. Not in accordance with the talents he hasn't or with the talents that he's given you. But see, what we're taught is that what God wants to find is when Jesus Christ returns, we're found doing the things he's called us to do. That's you as an individual. God has given you abilities in your faith, and God has given you gifts and talents that I only wish I could have. And he wants you to exercise them in freedom. In freedom. But he has to know that every so often, you're like that Doberman. Seeking his face. Is this where I'm supposed to be? Is this, is this cool? Is this where I'm supposed to be? Like, feel free to knock the lily pad out from underneath me, right? And then you swim for the shore, <laughs> right? And then you find another one. Okay, well, let's try this one. Let's go over here. Let's try that. You understand you're free. And if things don't work out and things don't go your way, trust God. Just trust him. He adores you. You are the treasure that he gave all to possess. So in what way do you think he's going to deal with you in your life? Just follow him and just be free and be free to go out and go in a wrong direction. But always be seeking his face and be willing to accept the correction that at a hundred yards he can go like this and you'll stop. Okay, Lord, open the doors, shut the doors, guide me where you want me to be. There's nothing more beautiful than that. That's the worst part about my flesh, is that whenever I get into my flesh, and whenever I get all fleshy, it pops me right out of that relationship with God. I'm so involved with myself, right? I'm so involved with my emotions, whether it's, whether it's pleasure, whether it's your, your anger, whether it's your need to gossip, whether it's whatever it is, and you allow that part of your flesh that creeps up in your life personally, and you indulge that, and you allow that thing to take and, and to have preeminence in your life, you completely lose that spiritual shine. And that beauty of, of that symbiotic and flowing relationship with the Lord just gets cut. That's a bad feeling. That's a bad feeling. And so we have to regroup, right? Because we get the choke chain. And we start over again. God says, let's try this again. The greatest thing about God, he's not one of those dog owners, like I would be, right? Who gets the dog and after, this thing doesn't know how to sit, okay? Get rid of it. Right? I can't have a dog who can't learn to sit in five seconds, okay? I need the dog immediately tra- God is so patient. He's so kind. He's so long-suffering. He's going to train you till he comes and gets you. But what kind of victory do you want to walk in? What manner of relationship with God do you want to have? It's yours. It's yours to take. That's what God has called us to. Okay. Um, verse 1 of chapter 11. Now, Understand, there's no chapters, there's no verses in the, in, in the original text, okay? In the, in, the, in the scrolls. There's no chapters, there's no verses. These are added after the fact so that we can find stuff in the Bible, right? 
great idea, fantastic idea, but sometimes you can kind of, you can pick up in the next chapter as though that's a new thought, and it's not a new thought whatsoever, okay? Chapter 11 is a part of chapter 10, and the first part of chapter 11 most likely took place before uh, Moses and Aaron went to go see Pharaoh after the plague of darkness, and some of it happened before that. So, well, let's go through it, and we'll look at it together. Okay, um, actually, let, let's, go back to, let's go back to chapter 10 real quick. I'm just going to just jump through chapter 10, uh, verse, verse uh, 22. Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, Go serve the Lord, only let your flocks and your herds be kept back, and let your little ones also go with you. But Moses said, We must also give us sacrifice, well, you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God, and even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. I love that. I love that. Moses has not received the law yet. Moses has not been to Sinai. He's not received the Ten Commandments, and he's just like, we're just going to go worship the Lord. We don't even know what we need. We don't know what we need. All we know is this. God wants us to take everything with us. He doesn't want us to leave any part of who we are or what we have behind. He wants us to bring everything with us so that when he brings us into a place that he will show us that we don't even know where it is yet, he can then say, I want you to do this, this, and this, and I want you to give that, that, and that, and we're prepared and we're ready to do it in our hearts because we've held nothing back. That's the point. But the Lord, in verse 27, hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let them go. And Pharaoh said to him, get away from me. Take heed to yourself and see my face no more, for in the day you see my face, you shall die. So Moses said, you have spoken well, I will never see your face again. Now, beginning of chapter 11, the Lord, it could be translated, and the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and afterward he will let you go from here, and when he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. Uh, so, so verses 1 through 3 there, this is something that had probably already taken place before Pharaoh, uh, Moses comes to meet with Pharaoh concerning this darkness. And Pharaoh says, leave your animals here. And Moses says, we've got to take everything. Get out of my sight and don't show your face around here again. So before that time, God had already told Moses. And back, through chapter, back to chapter 3, he told Moses, didn't he, that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart, that he was going to use Pharaoh. He told him what was going to happen. And he also told him, this is what I want you to tell your people. Can you imagine being an Israelite and looking over to your Egyptian neighbors and they've been decimated? They've been decimated. Their cattle has been decimated. Their crops have been decimated. Their homes have been decimated. Their, 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 their bodies are, have been covered in sores and they've experienced thick darkness. And now God says, I want you to go to them and I want you to ask for them articles of gold and articles of silver. Can you imagine that meeting? 
You know, when you go, go to borrow your, a, a cup of sugar from your neighbor and their house has been leveled? You know? Hey, while you're digging through there, you got, you got any sugar? <laughs> I'm trying to make some cookies over here, you know? That must have been an odd, odd feeling for them. But God asked them to do it, and here's why. Back payment for 400 years. Back payment for 400 years. And when they left that place, God was not going to bring them out completely empty-handed. God was going to provide for them. And it's amazing to me the, the, the attitude that the, it says that the Egyptians had towards Moses and the children of Israel. These are their slaves. You would think that they would be so bitter and so angry and have so much hate towards their slaves who are now preeminent over them in God's blessing that they would not even speak to them. But it was the opposite. God had given them... You see, God can give you favor anywhere. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter how crazy it may seem, if you're where God wants you to be, God can give you favor there. And so God gave these, the children of Israel this supernatural favor in the eyes of the Egyptians where when they went to them and they said, hey, can we have some gold and some silver for our trip when we leave? Here. He just take it, take, take it, take it. Now, verse 3, uh, excuse me, verse 4, this is Moses now in the presence of Pharaoh. This is that last conversation, a part of that last conversation before Pharaoh says, get away from me and don't show your face here again. And Moses said, fine, you won't see my face again. This is most likely a part of that last conversation. Verse 4, Moses said, and now Pharaoh's getting angry. Okay, because Pharaoh wants him to leave the animals behind. Pharaoh's continually playing games, isn't he? He's continually playing games and trying to get Moses and the children of Israel to compromise their stand on what God had called them to do. And then he's turning around and he's changing his mind and he's hardening his heart and not letting the people go. And now he's asking this of the animals and when Moses says, we're taking every hoof with us and he starts to get mad, Moses says this, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry through all the land of Egypt, such as not like it before, nor shall be like it again." But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these, your servants, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And then he went out from Pharaoh in great anger. So, so that is a part of Moses saying, you've spoken well, I'll never see your face again. This is a part of that speech. He didn't just say, as you see it, and leaves. He lets Pharaoh have it this one last time. Pharaoh, you have continually hardened your heart against the God of Israel. You have continually disobeyed the commandment that he has given you. And now, Pharaoh, everything, everything that you hold dear is going to be taken from you and not only from you, from your people and this plague is going to be so awful and so horrible because of the hardness of your heart that your servants, without your permission and without your consent and without even consulting you they themselves are going to come to me and they're going to bow to the ground and beg me to leave 
and to take everything with us and we don't even care what Pharaoh says. You're going to lose respect amongst your own people. Pharaoh, you're going to lose everything because you have refused to obey the Lord. Moses is hot. And I don't think Moses is hot because he's been disrespected. I think Moses is angry because Pharaoh is with his own two hands destroying his people. He's allowing this to come upon himself, his family, and all the people of the nation of Egypt because of the hardness of his heart. And Moses is angry about it. Verse 9. Now, again, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And so verse 10 is encompassing the last four or five chapters we've read. So Moses and Aaron did all these wonders, okay? All of these plagues, all of these miracles, all of these things that God had given them the power to do in front of, Egypt, in front of Pharaoh. They did them all before Pharaoh. And here's the end result. Because of Pharaoh's hardness, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the children of Israel go out of his land. And we're going to stop there. Next week, Passover. Next week, Passover. And it comes at the most perfect time. At the most perfect time. When the nation of Egypt has shown itself completely rebellious to God's plan. And God is teaching the children of Israel to trust in him. He's going to turn it all to the blood. Now, again, without the shedding of innocent blood, there can be no remission of sin. And, and, and they all knew that. There was already sacrifices that take place. But the sacrificial system, in accordance with the tabernacle worship, which would become later the temple worship, had none of that had been instituted yet. None of that had been instituted yet. And so in the midst of this point, this is a breaking point. This is the point when... Uh, the, uh, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel is now going to be completely and permanently severed from the nation of Egypt and from the Egyptians. This is the point when that severing is about to take place. This is it. This is the culmination. All of the rebellion, all of the judgment, all of the events, all of the plagues, everything. Here is the hinge point and God brings to him the importance of the blood. Moses children of Israel, it all is about the blood. It's all about the blood. And next week we're going to talk about the importance of the Passover. And we're going to talk about why God instituted Passover and what it was speaking to. We know as believers, you know, we already know the importance of the blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. But God gives these Israelis this in very strange order that they're to take these lambs, these, these perfect spotless lambs without blemish, and they're to slaughter them, and they're to drain the blood out of them, and then they're to roast them with all of their entrails and every part of the, of the, of the lamb intact. They're supposed to roast it and consume every single part of the lamb and every single part of the lamb that is not consumed, because I don't know about you, but I'm not eating intestines for nobody, right? Or eyeballs, or, but, and that's okay. Those parts had to be burned. In other words, in other words, the spotless lamb without blemish was to be put to death, an innocent substitution. Its blood was to be drained, and every single part of it was to be consumed. 
either by you or in the fire. Every single part of it. And then that blood that is taken from that lamb is to be put on the doorposts of your house. And when the angel of death visits the land of Egypt, because he makes no distinction between peoples. When the, when the angel of death visits the land of Egypt, the only distinction between you and the children of Egypt will be what? The blood. Will be the blood. If there's blood on the doorposts of that house, Egyptian or otherwise, the angel of death will pass over that home. If there's no blood on the doorpost of that home, no matter how well-intentioned, no matter how they believed every other single thing that God had ever said, but without the blood on the doorpost of the house, there's going to be death in the house. There's going to be death. So important that God is telling the children of Israel, you don't even realize the importance of blood. And it goes beyond this. When God talks about the sacrificial system, even to uh, the government of the people, that anybody who sheds blood, any man who sheds the man, blood of another man, by man his blood will be shed. There's a sacredness always that God has put on the blood. Your blood, my blood. When someone dies in their sins, what, would, what did this say? Their blood is on their own head. Their blood is on their own head. When someone willfully disobeyed God's law and they were put to death for it, their blood is on their own head. But the importance of the blood, the importance of the blood. And so here we are. You guys can come on right up. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he's celebrating this Passover meal that's instituted in Exodus chapter 12. And he goes back to the blood, but he changes it. This is my blood. Everything. And when he said, this is my blood, it's not just the wine, it's the Passover. It's the thousands of years of celebrating the Passover. It's the blood on the doorway of the, uh, of the Israelites' houses. It's my blood, Jesus said. Everything has pointed to this. This is my blood, which is shed for you. This is my body that is broken for you. So, uh, Doug, I'll have you go ahead and pass this out to everybody. So here's our time, guys, to just talk to the Lord. Because this is, this is the meal that we get to share with Jesus Christ. This is Him. This is Him giving us a meal to say, hey, look, no matter where you're at, no matter where you've been, I want you to break bread with me today. Like Zacchaeus, one of my favorite stories. Little tax collector, you know, little cheat, little thief. And Jesus Christ, because he was willing to see Christ's face, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house and break bread with you today. And this is, this is always what communion represents to you and I, is God saying, let me break bread with you today. So make your confessions to God as the elements are being passed out. Talk to the Lord about it. He knows it all anyways, right? So talk to the Lord about it, and then we'll share this meal together.